style mean that what we possess of his thought is compressed into a fraction of their written compass. Whichever angle you come at him from, there will be surprises and riches in store again and again. Just when you think you've got his measure, he chuckles and forces you to read a passage you thought you knew well in a quite different light, and then, if you dare, to attempt what he had already accomplished, that is, to reflect on how the different viewpoints integrate one with another. Reflecting on that task makes me feel somewhat like a middle-aged man in Wellington boots, trying to imitate a quicksilver-footed ballet dancer. But if my lumbering around after Paul reveals all too clearly how far I still have to go in following him exactly, I hope it will at least stimulate those with fresher minds and more youthful energy to do better, perhaps by sparking off some ideas with those in particular who are at an early stage in their careers and have the opportunity to study Paul intensively for themselves and come up with challenges, modifications, and fresh proposals of their own. I have to say that for me there has been no more stimulating exercise for the mind, the heart, the imagination, and the spirit than trying to think Paul's thoughts after him, and constantly to be stirred up to fresh glimpses of God's ways and purposes with the world and with us strange human creatures. The Church and the Academy both urgently need a new generation of teachers and preachers who will give themselves totally to the delighted study of the text and allow themselves to be taken wherever it leads, to think new thoughts arising out of the text and to dare to try them out in word and deed. I trust that these lectures, and now this book, will serve as a reminder that studying the New Testament remains not only the core of a good theology degree, but one of the premier intellectual and personal challenges available in any academy, and that studying Paul in particular constitutes one of the most demanding and rewarding of sub-disciplines. Let me then outline the argument of this book. The first chapter forms a general introduction, after which the next three chapters look at major Pauline themes which have been highlighted in some recent study and which allow us to put down some preliminary markers about the way Paul's mind worked. Then the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters form a miniature systematic account of the main theological contours of Paul's thought. A final chapter looks more briefly at some key themes which our study may place in a new light. In each case, What I am doing is not so much presenting several discrete and separate aspects of Paul's life and thought, but rather taking a different path up the same large and craggy mountain. Reading Paul is, in fact, a bit like climbing a mountain. There are many routes up Scarfell Pike or Ben Nevis, and those who are used only to the easy tourist path sometimes forget that scaling the vertical crags is not only more exciting, but might sometimes get you to the top more quickly. What I am trying to do is to map various paths, each of which, I believe, leads to the summit. Like the great Alfred Wainwright in the English Lake District, I am trying to provide a kind of sketchbook for those who want to attempt the routes for themselves. In allowing something of the format and even the occasional colloquial style of the original lectures to remain, I am conscious that every paragraph could attract footnotes to itself like wasps round a jar of honey and that this would make the book quite a different sort of thing. I intend it rather to stand as a pointer to the fuller treatment which is supposed to form volume four of my series Christian Origins and the Question of God, where at least the key issues may be treated in more detail. 
nor is there any question of engaging in detailed debate with the many writers who have addressed similar topics, tempting though it will be to set some records straight and perhaps even settle some old scores. Those who want to follow up particular topics and themes will find the leads they require in the other works I have already referred to. I will, however, refer occasionally to works which I have found helpful and provide a slightly fuller list in the bibliography. My wife and I were fortunate indeed to be looked after in Cambridge by several friends while the lectures were being given. Professor Graham Stanton, the Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity, was our host of the faculty, and he and his colleagues made sure we were cared for in true Cambridge style. Dr. Barry Everett, the Master of Downing College, and his wife Jane, and Lord Wilson of Tillion, the Master of Peterhouse, and Lady Wilson, provided splendid hospitality and quiet space in which I was able to pull my notes together into a set of coherent discourses. Some of the lectures were given in slightly different format as the...